0: Our scripture today comes from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27, and continuing through chapter 2, verse 4. When Paul wrote this letter, he didn't stop and say, oh, I'm done with chapter 1, so I'll write a big number 2 here as I start talking about something completely different. The chapter divisions and the verse divisions we see are a later addition that editors added to help us find things. And it really helps to have them there. But we sometimes get in trouble when we let them determine the substance of the text. So let's see what what the Lord has to say to us. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit, And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Okay, does everybody have a poker chip? If you don't have a poker chip, Luke will get you one. Anyone need one? Luke, are you here? Okay, Chad's going to get one for you, Judy. Is Judy the only one that needs one? Okay, Billy needs one. Billy needs one. Bobby needs one. Okay. And no, don't worry, we're not going to be gambling today. I had thought of finding a way to bring Pascal's wager into the sermon, but it doesn't fit, so it's not there. So if you want to know about Pascal's wager sometime, you can ask me. Our text starts today with these two words, whatever happens. When you look at your life or the world around you, you know lots of things happen. There's good things that happen. I know people were really excited in Fairfield yesterday. Well, people of Fairfield were really excited in, where was it, Waco yesterday? Man, the girls won again and it was a close game, wasn't it? They won by less than 20. (laughs) And now they go off to state. It's exciting. Things are happening. But we also look at our lives and the world around us and we see bad things happen. We see expected things and unexpected things happen. So whatever happens, how do we respond? I think we get some help in the text today. The context here is that Paul is in prison. If we were to read the verses before verse 27, we see that that Paul doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison alive. He's roughly on the equivalent of what they had back then, of, of death row. He says, maybe I'll get out. Maybe I'll get to come see you again. You who I love in Philippi. But maybe I'll get to go be with Jesus. And Paul says he's okay either way. The sad part we see there is that some of Paul's fellow Christians are rejoicing. They're happy that Paul's having a hard time. Oh yeah, Paul, we knew that when you started preaching that way, we knew when you started planting churches that way, we knew that when you started associating with those people and thinking they could be Christians, that God was going to judge you. So here you are, you're in prison and you deserve it, Paul. And it broke Paul's heart to see the body fragmented that way. But Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So here's this primary idea. Conduct yourself, live, associate, be in the world in this way in line with the gospel of Christ. So we have to know what the gospel of Christ is if we're going to live in accordance with it. We're going to live in a manner that fits with it. Sometimes the gospel is presented as nothing more than forgiveness of sins. Every time we sin, we go to God and say, Okay, God, you said you would forgive me when I sin. So I'm asking you to forgive me. Okay, God, you forgave me, so now I'm gonna go do it all again. The gospel includes forgiveness of sins, but it's not just forgiveness of sins. Or sometimes the gospel is presented to us as going to heaven when you die. When you die, you get to go be with Jesus. And Paul himself looks to being with Christ here. But that's not all that the gospel's about. Or some people, when they preach the gospel, talk about how it's health and wealth and success now. And if we just have enough faith, we're always going to be healthy. We're always going to be wealthy. We're always going to be successful. But if we're not healthy, if we're not wealthy, if we're not successful, well, you know what the problem is. You just don't have enough faith. Now, again, we have plenty of things in Scripture that point to God being with us as we live and live and blessing us. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is centered on Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. The eternal Son of God comes as one of us into the world, fully human and fully divine, comes to live among us, taking upon Himself our vulnerability our mortality and on the cross dying for our sins the gospel is Jesus incarnate Jesus crucified Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that he worked to know nothing among them but Christ and him crucified before that in 1 Corinthians 1 he said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing the gospel is about this Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, who took our sins upon himself, who died on the cross for us, and yet who was raised again on the third day, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, pouring out his spirit on his people. When Paul talks about conducting our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, He's saying that we live our lives in a way that fits with that Jesus, with those things that Jesus has done. So if we were to stop there, we'd just ask the question, are we living now in a way that's in alignment, that fits with that description of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? But Paul goes on from there. Paul wants to know something about these Philippians. He wants to know that they stand firm in one spirit. Not not just the spirit of this group or the spirit of that group, but stand firm in one spirit. He wants to know that they are striving together as one for the gospel of Christ. That they are working as a unified team, playing the same game, pursuing the same objective. And Paul wants to know that they're not frightened by the opposition. The opposition's real. Sometimes the opposition is scary. Sometimes the opposition threatens our lives. But Paul wants to know that the opposition is not having the upper hand with them that they're not living in fear. If we look at ourselves today, if we look at the church today, is it possible that those things can be known about us? Can we know, can, can insiders know, can outsiders know that we stand firm in one spirit? Can we know that we're striving together as one for the faith of the gospel? Can we know that we're not frightened by the opposition? If we can know it, are we trying to know it? Are we looking for those markers in our life together? Paul continues in in chapter 2, and this, this, I think, sheds more light on it. He has a a list of, of characteristics. If you have any of these characteristics... Then he's going to do the then. So if y'all again who are computer programmers, when you write a computer program, a lot of times you have if statements and then then statements. If these characteristics, if these features are happening, then these things will happen. So Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, not just forgiven, not just going to heaven when you died, not just a church member. But if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Christ crucified and risen, if you have any comfort from his love, if his love has penetrated your life and given you comfort in the midst of hardship, in the midst of loss, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of turmoil, if you have any common sharing of the Spirit, because the assumption is the Spirit's not just there for apostles like Paul not just there for those who have the title of pastor or preacher, but for all Christians. If you have any tenderness and compassion, Paul's looking for these experiential markers in the church in Philippi. And he's not saying them as if they're going to be surprised by him. Hey, guys, this is normal Christianity. This is the part of the normal Christian life. If you have these things, and I believe you do, Paul is saying, then you can make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, by being like-minded there, I don't think he means being clones. He doesn't mean being uh, robots, where you're programmed to do exactly the same thing and think exactly the same way. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Love is, according to Jesus, a universal feature of those who follow him. By being one in spirit and mind. You get the idea that oneness, unity is important to Paul. Do you think it might be important to Jesus? By avoiding selfish ambition... And vain conceit. I got to have my way because my way is right. No, Paul says, avoid that. Not looking at your own interests. Yeah, we have interests. But looking to the interests of others. I have to tell you, when, when I see this list, when I think about it, I think this is really good. It sounds really good. If we could look at every church in the world today and see these characteristics we'd be jumping up and down for joy. But is that what we see? Is that what we feel? Unfortunately, a lot of times I see and I feel anxiety. I see and I feel conflict. Maybe some of you have heard that that old hymn, Just As I Am, where it has that line, Fightings Within and Fears Without. Some of you have felt that and seen that. And when we see those things, we feel weighed down and burdened on many levels. Sometimes to the point of giving up. It it might be at our job. It might be that our job has gotten so hard. That we just don't feel like we're making any headway. Like we're banging our head against a brick wall and we feel like giving up. Might be in a marriage. Might be that the conflict between husband and wife has grown so much that where they were first in sort of blind love for each other, now it seems all they do is argue. They feel like giving up. Or sometimes in our churches, the anxiety and conflict seems so much that we just want to back off and give up. But on the other hand, we have Paul's clear teaching here that confronts our own experience. What do we do? What do we do when what we read here doesn't match up with our experience? I can tell you some things I'm learning to do. One of the things I'm learning to do is to recognize that conflict and anxiety and difficulty are normal. It's a normal part of life. And we see Paul acknowledging it here in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. That's the good part, isn't it? We get to believe in him. Then we have the next line that we'd rather just get our sharpie out and mark out. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. But he goes on, since you are going through the same struggle, you see me having. So Paul has all this high and happy and joyful and optimistic language for the church in Philippi. But he acknowledges you're going through the same struggle I am. You have opposition, you have conflict, you have anxiety, you have disappointment. So the first thing I do is I recognize those things are normal. It's a part of life. Second thing I notice is that those things don't have to be part of my identity. Get this poker chip here. I have a poker chip. You, you have poker chip. You have it, but it's not you. It doesn't define you, but sometimes, when, when I have conflict, when I have anxiety, when I have worry, when I have disappointment, when I have fear, I imagine that this thing that is not me is me. It's part of me. Determines who I am. But it doesn't. Part of the gospel is that as I align myself with the gospel of Christ. I am defined by Jesus. I'm not defined by what my mind comes up with. I'm not defined by anxiety, fear, worry, conflict. It is other than me. And once I recognize that. Once I recognize that it is not me, I'm externalizing. I can put it out here. I can bring it into the open and deal with it. I can admit to people, I have anxiety. I have fears. I have worries. I have conflicts. I have disappointments. I don't have to hold it all inside. And when I do that, I can get help from other people. I don't have to bear it all by myself. I don't need to run away and hide, even if I feel like doing that. Now, I know when it comes to these things, sometimes we approach them differently. Now, some people, when there's conflict, all they want to do is escape. Other people, when there's conflict, they say, hey, conflict, I'm going to go get in the middle of that. And maybe there's occasions where both strategies are helpful. But when we recognize it, we recognize that it's not us, then we can find ways to deal with it healthfully together. And when we separate conflict, anxiety, worry, disappointment, fear from our identity, it can become productive. We can ask questions like, How does the gospel connect us with what we feel? How does the gospel connect us with what we see? How does the gospel direct us? Do we have a shared mission? How can we love each other? Because you all notice there's a lot about loving each other in this passage. How can we love each other? When we have fear, when we have worry, when we have anxiety we have conflict, how can we be humble through all of this? It's when we align ourselves with the gospel. It's when we align ourselves in the manner of Christ. Christ who, was, who became one of us. Christ who gave himself on the cross. Christ who was raised from the dead by the Father. Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. When that happens, Paul says, the opposition is frustrated. Frustration can be a good thing, you know, if we're frustrated over the right things in the right way. But when we don't do these things, we get frustrated. We try. We fail. We try and we fail. We too easily sometimes assume, oh, look at these people. They're different. Different is bad. We collapse into confusion, fear, anger, anxiety, mistrust. But when we can recognize these things within us and recognize that they don't define us, They don't define us as individuals. They don't define us as families. They don't define us as a church. Then we can intentionally name them for what they are. And lay them on the altar. And say, God, I've got this. I've got this anxiety, I've got this worry, I've got this fear, I've got this disappointment, I've got this conflict. And I recognize it as what it is, and I don't know what to do about it. But you do. And I'm laying it before you now. Not just me and you, but, but me and my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing this. Because we want to experience all this joy that Paul talks about. We want to experience the fullness of life in Christ. In just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar for communion. As you come, as usual, you'll receive a piece of bread, the body of Christ. you receive a little cup, the blood of Christ. But as you come, I invite you to bring that poker chip. Whatever it represents for you, whether it represents your anxiety, fears, worries, conflict, disappointment. That you bring it, whatever it is, and just lay it here before god letting him bring healing let him him bring hope letting him bring deliverance let's pray lord i thank you today that you want us to experience the fullness of your life that you want to hold nothing back lord help us to hear that promise from you to grab hold of it even as we let go of other things so that you, your word, the gospel of Christ, define us and give us our identity. Amen.